0: Welcome to another episode of Reproducibility. Um, I'm Sophia Crevel, and today I'm joined by Amy Orban in Oxford.
1: Yay, it's me!
0: <laughs> so enthusiastic joining, at the end.
1: I'm joining. Yeah, I'm joining from my kind of thesis den. So I'm actually at home, and I've not left the house for <laughs> two days. Uh, so yeah. So okay, happy so it's actually two However, be released back onto the streets of Oxford hopefully next week when I submit my thesis. So um, yeah, that's that's what's been happening here.
0: And today we actually also have a guest, Nick Fox, uh, who's a research scientist at um, the Center for Open Science. Welcome, Nick.
2: Hi. Good morning. I guess it's not morning for you. It's morning here. I'm good.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot about time time difference. Yeah, (laughs) it's
2: it's AM here in foggy New Jersey. I'm good. Things are really good.
1: Nice. Um, well, I think, I mean... We are all very impressed that you actually work at the Open Science Framework. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
2: <laughs> it's fun. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I, I wear it like a badge of honor.
0: <laughs> How many t-shirts do you, do you have, have? Like a sh- I wanted I, to ask about t-shirts. <laughs> I only have
2: one. So, okay, so I, I work remote, right? So the Center for Open Science is in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, have you? Have either of you ever been? No, No. Oh, so so one of the SIPS conferences was in Charlottesville. So I got my first peek at uh, the COS HQ at the SIPS conference a couple of years ago. Uh, and you know that the little secret is they have like a whole wall of T-shirts. But when I was there, when I started, uh, they only had one in my size, and I'm not like a crazy size or anything. But they only had one, and it was hot pink. So I have one hot pink COS shirt uh, that I wear on Wednesdays, because on Wednesdays we wear pink. Uh, um, and, yeah, but also,
0: of course, they only had that one um, hot pink T-shirt. That was, I mean, yes. I think they wanted you to have that. They probably have, still have a whole... Yeah, I think they said it out ahead
2: of time. They were like, Nick's coming. Make sure you get the pink one.
0: But yeah, hide everything and else. It
2: yeah i have that and right now i'm wearing my psych science accelerator shirt so you know i have to switch the caps every now and then
1: (laughs) i need to be better at at the t-shirt game i have a center for open science one yeah and sophia has one as well but because i got her you guys have
2: more more mainline colors
1: i've got green i've got neon green
2: Oh, okay so we're all we're all yeah. highlighter colors perfect Exactly
1: <laughs> Oh yeah. true. you'd be a nice trio And a very girly comment I'm a bit annoyed I gave Sophia the yellow one <gasps> cuz yellow is now such an in color No
2: really <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, 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 no. It's it's I I, well, I I'm fine with my. I
0: think I think the the really in color is like the mustard yellow, and this one is is very much a highlight yellow. So
2: ah, well, we'll get there. The trends change fast enough that I think we'll all have our you know our few weeks. Exactly where it's
0: like right on trend. I mean, are, are you coming oh to this this year?
2: I'm not, unfortunately. So I really want to go. I've never been to the Netherlands, and the Netherlands has you know this huge open science group, right? Like. A lot of the Dutch scientists are, are into it. Uh, at least that's my, perspe- my perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. But I can't because we're actually in the process of buying our first house. Um, and we're moving that weekend. Like the weekend like oh. starts. So it didn't work out. But, uh, but I, I have serious – I was just talking on Slack this morning. I have serious fear of missing out for everyone who's going to be planning things. And like everyone's like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm going to all these different – Uh, hackathons and i'm leading all these different unconferences, and i'm like "Uh," so Uh,
1: i love also how you're like the netherlands is just one massive open science working team i mean
2: i mean that's you know from 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 my perspective here in jersey i look over the ocean and that's what i see i see oh it's like the promised land you know it's like wow they're really thinking about these things over there
0: the grass is always greener on the other side of the yes, ocean.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's okay. Because I know at the previous SIPs, you know, there are a lot of European scientists who couldn't make it. So, okay, let's have it in Europe, please. With, you know, if I can't make it, it's fine. Like.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, seem, it seems like most of Europe is actually coming with that huge uh, amount of participants. I know.
2: I, I can't believe that they uh, they over like not overbooked but i can't believe they filled their booking before the early early bird specials finished that's crazy again it solidified my idea that
0: that.
2: it solidified my idea that every dutch scientist is going and every dutch scientist cares about (laughs) it
0: (laughs) well we'll see see what happens
1: Uh, but so that well we'll we'll get We'll, we'll update you whether kind of the, the streets of Washington yeah. <laughs> were completely empty. Every university building had no psychologists because they were all in this one room. I can't wait. At Sips. That sounds
0: like a utopia, Amy. Yeah,
2: that's the goal.
1: <laughs>
0: no, but like the, the last time you went to SIPS, you were um, a grad student, right? And you've just finished your, your PhD.
2: Yeah, so so I just finished my PhD at Rutgers. So I finished in March, uh, so I defended my dissertation March twenty fifth. Uh, I walked in the in the commencement uh, May seventeenth. So I got to wear the wizard robes that we have, the mm. pillow hat and all that. Very exciting. That's the whole reason I did it uh, was to wear the pillow hat. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was good, you know. So so last year I was so I was I took six years in this most recent. Form of getting my PhD. Uh, I had been a PhD program before that I dropped out of in a totally different field, um, but this time it took six years. Um, halfway through, I changed advisors, um, so I wound up going from behavioral neuroscience and doing work on animals and like the maternal uh, immune system into looking at social psychologists and how they deal with people who use questionable research practices.
0: Um, Okay yeah, wait so finished. how did yeah. this happen? <laughs> Tell, yeah okay, so, I mean, probably you, you probably you, should, you, you also want to actually, yeah, actually can, wait, wait let, let's just back up right like all the way to the to yeah, the yeah. Start, I'll start about at, how I'll start how at how at the maybe beginning. Here.
2: yeah okay nice. so so i started so as an undergraduate student my very first day uh, they kind of had put me in psychology they're like all right you don't know what you want to do you're going to be a psychologist we'll put you in a stats class we'll put you in a psych 101 class and you'll figure it out, you know? Uh, and I was a first gen college student. So I was like, all right, I guess this is how we do things. So let's do it like that. Uh, and, you know, over the first like year and a half, I started to hate psychology. I was like, it's just memorization. It's just remembering who did what, and when, and, hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, you know, at the same time, the school that I was at, I was at Stony Brook uh, University on Long Island. They required, you know, taking like general classes to kind of, to fill, you know, uh, kind of make you a well-rounded student. So I was taking biology classes and art classes and blah blah blah. Uh, and I really liked biology, and I was like, oh, maybe I should I should take biology and uh, maybe do like a chemistry minor. That sounds interesting. So two years in, I said, okay, enough of this psychology. I'm done with that. Um, I'm going to be a biologist, uh, and I wanted to really minor in chem. And they're like, oh, you can't minor in chemistry. It's not a thing that we do. But there's this thing called biochemistry. And I said, oh, okay, biochemistry, that must be very similar, uh, which it isn't, it's completely different. And so I wound up majoring in biochemistry um, and working in a lab that was working on how a certain bacteria, this bacteria called Francisella tularensis, uh, attaches to host white white blood cells. Um, I know this isn't like a biology podcast, so I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, but <laughs> so I was working in like microbiology and immunology, and I was really liking it. So I said. Uh, Oh, maybe I should go to graduate school. This was also in 2008, 2009. So, like, uh, everyone was losing their jobs, and the prospects of getting a job coming out of college with a biochemistry degree looked really bad. So, I was like, okay, how about we go to graduate school? It's five years. It's, uh, you know, you're going to make a stipend. So, it's some guaranteed income. We'll weather the storm and then we'll figure it out on the other side. So, uh, I applied to, uh, immunology program. So I was very interested in immunology. And so I wound up going to the University of Arizona, which is, uh, you know, five hours west of where I was from, Long Island, and kind of the New York area. Um, so I was doing that for a couple of years. Uh, and while I was there, I was studying the aging immune system and how white blood cells change when you get older. Uh, and it was really cool work. Uh, unfortunately my mom got very sick at the time so my mom has lupus and uh, she got very sick when I was doing my PhD program there. Uh, she's fine now not to build tension uh, but at the time I said, you know what it'd be best if I was back closer to home so I could you know be there and, and help if she needs help So I wound up dropping out of that program um, and so it was weird because I really wanted to master out because I had done two years of courses and the way they did it was, you had to uh, do your 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 comprehensive exams or right, your comps um, and they had just changed it where it took like a year to do your comprehensive exams and I didn't have a year so I couldn't do that. So I wound up just dropping out of the program and leaving um, And at the time, you know it was like, well, you can't go back to graduate school. you've dropped out. Everyone's gonna look at your transcript and say like well, what is wrong with this person you know So uh, I worked out of a lab, at columbia university for a couple of years i moved to new york city i luckily got a job as a lab manager so the the pi i was working with in arizona knew a guy in new york and he said hey i know this guy he might need a lab manager and so i worked with him and he was studying uh breast cancer immunology so there's these drugs these antibody drugs that are used to treat breast cancer these like targeted immunotherapies and no one knows how they work and so his lab was figuring out how do these drugs work? Uh, We know that they reduce breast cancer, but we don't know the mechanism. And so I was working on that for a couple of years. Uh, That paper just got published like less than a year ago uh, where we showed that host immune systems actually create antibodies. So it's kind of like being vaccinated against breast cancer using these drugs. Um, So that was interesting. And then at that time, I was like, okay, I got to go back to graduate school. I really want to kind of complete my education. Uh, I wonder if there's like a different angle this whole thing wouldn't it be cool if uh, you could take like this immunology lens that i was working through you know this is now four or five years and apply it to something more psychological and so at the time i was very interested in um you know how does the maternal immune system affect uh fetal development um again right they say research is me search so my mom has autoimmune disease and i'm like huh i wonder how the immune system uh, affects you know their children right so uh, I wound up applying to a lab at Rutgers that was looking at kind of similar things. They're looking at stress, uh, maternal stress and maternal illness and, and kind of downstream uh, effects in the offspring in, in animal models, in mice, or as they say on Twitter, in mice.
1: In mice.
2: Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> so I wound up they, they accepted me. I said, look. I'm not a psychologist, right? I'm an immunologist. Uh, I'm willing to become a psychologist, but my background is in you know white blood cells and stuff. And so they they took a chance. My PI there took a chance on me, and I was very grateful. And uh, so I worked on that for about two and a half, three years. And then, kind of the most interesting part of the story was we got into. And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, speak badly. I, I hope. Um, but we got into, uh, we had differing opinions on methodology, right? So the work that we were doing was very nested, right? It's like looking at longitudinal behavioral effects in mice that all come from, you know, a certain number of mothers, right? So it's like a three-level nested design. Um, and at the at that time, this is like 2014, 2015 now, uh, a paper had come out in Science that said, um, you know, they were looking at maternal effects on fetal development and a different model. And a comment came out that said, hey, you're analyzing these things in an inappropriate way. You're using, you know, ANOVAs. Maybe you should be using multi-level models to account for this, you know, lack of independence of your observations. And so we were working on something similar. And I was like, look, I don't want to publish this and have someone come out and say, uh, you're doing it all wrong. You know, we'd go and fix it. But if we know ahead of time, let's try to let's try to nip it in the bud. Uh, and so we kind of hit some friction there in our in our mentor mentee relationship. Uh, and so at that time I decided, you know what, I think it'll be better if I find another advisor. Um so um coincidentally, I was taking a class with my 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 final advisor, I guess, my my final PhD advisor, Lee Jussum, uh who's on Twitter. I'm I'm sure you've probably seen him around. Um of he was teaching a scientific integrity class, uh, talking about, you know, the reproducibility crisis, quote unquote, um, talking about, you know, flexibility and data analysis and garden of forking paths and kind of all of those, you know, the vocab words of, of the replication issues. Um, and so I went to him and I said, Hey, you know, I've been having this friction with my advisor. I'm looking to, to change advisors. Um, you know, would you, would you take me in your lab? Now I'm a third year uh, PhD student in a five year program in a different subfield, right? So all of the classes in behavioral neuroscience, animal stuff was totally different than the social psychological students. Um, So he said, okay, well, let's try it for six months and see how it goes. And uh, if I hate it or you hate it, then we can both say goodbye and, you know, no harm done. And if we like it, then we can do it. Uh, and so that six months went really well. We were working on some questionnaires uh, that dealt with questionable research practices in fields outside of psychology. So we were looking at uh, sociology, chemistry, you know, looking at different fields and trying to do, uh, we were doing qualitative interviews to figure out, like, what are those questionable practices that exist in different fields? And uh, that work is, is getting off the ground just now, which is really great. Um and yeah, and so I just said, you know, I really want to work on you know these meta scientific uh, angles of of the issues in psychology. And he was like, I'm not an expert in that stuff, but uh, you know, if you want to kind of forge your path and and I'll be there to advise, I'll go for it. And that's what we did. So it took three years from that point uh, to get the finished dissertation, which was on scientists and uh, them being the subjects of of research. Uh, I looked at questionable research practices. I looked at potential stigmatization of people who use questionable research practices. And I looked at uh, how scientists interact with published literature and how that conversion from print literature to digital literature uh, actually changes how choices are made, right? So like if you go on different uh, platforms like Archive, or if you go on to, uh, I think PubMed has, has some of these things now, Google Scholar for sure has these, uh, this metadata, right? You can see how many times a paper is cited. You can see how many times a paper is downloaded, uh, which is different than how it was 20 years ago when you were getting a copy of, you know, Cell uh, in the mail and you just looked at the, you know, 15 articles that are in it
0: without the popularity measures.
2: Yeah, right. So now scientists have uh, a, an idea of the behavior of previous scientists, right? It's like, oh wow, 7,000 people downloaded this. Maybe it's worth me looking at. Um, and so that was kind of the the scope of my dissertation. It was that plus measuring how many people use questionable research practices currently, like right now, or last 12 months, and uh, and if they're a stigmatized population. So Ooh, okay. that's the whole story. That's how I went from young, naive, hating psychology, Nick, to employed psychologist, Nick, right now.
0: <laughs> and and what, what's your stance on psychology now? Because you, you only said that you're employed, not what your stance is on it now. <laughs> oh, wait. Wh-
1: your stance on psychology.
0: Yeah, when, when, oh, actually, I love psychology. You know, because, because you said like young naive Nick hating psychology and now empiric. yeah, no
2: psychology, <laughs> no psychology is great. You know, I think psychology education, especially like early, like the very beginnings, like Psych 101 type stuff, doesn't. At least in, right, this is ten years ago now. At least when I took it, it didn't really like spark that excitement about like what psychology can be and that. You know, humans are so complex and we're studying the most complex thing, you know? Um, So I think, at least in my time taking it, that was not focused on. It was more like, you need to focus on, you know, um, God, I'm trying to think of names, but I can't think of any. Uh, You need to think (laughs) of uh, the Stroop test, Skinner, right? When I talk about oper- operant conditioning, you need to remember it was BF Skinner and it was this time, you know, like, okay, I get it. I'll make flashcards and do that. Right. But I think like kind of the the scope and the complexity of what psychology can be um, is is super uh, motivating, right? It's like, it's what gets me up every morning, you know? Um, but back when I was 18 years old and I was having to memorize uh, Piaget and, you know, different development cycles and Eric Erickson says this and Piaget says that. And, you know, right now, no one cares about, you know, these because we think it's more continuous or, you know, Freud, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay. Um, I think that could be worked on a bit. And I've taught Psych 101 since then. And I've tried to, you know, kind of spice it up a little bit as much as I could. Um, But I think that can really be worked on because for me, immediately I checked out. I was like, all right, what else can we do? You know.
0: <laughs> also, I mean, like because like lots of because of I mean, I guess some psychology degrees are more like history of psychology um, focused. Or...
2: That was at, that was at least that was at least the way kind of the introductory psychology was taught when I took it. It was very much like the lens of history of psychology, and when I when we test on it, we're going to test you on knowing the names and the dates. You know. And and that's great. And if and if you like that, more power to you. It wasn't what I was looking for at the time. And since you know, I, I had not taken any psychology in high school. It wasn't a thing that was offered. That was like what I thought it was, you know. And I was like, well, if this is what it is, it's not what I'm interested in. But in the you know 12 years since then, I've found you know most other things in psychology extremely uh, energizing. So. Uh, so yeah, I love it. It's super good. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that the psychology community has has accepted this biochemist as a as an adopted child. So,
1: what do you think you bring? Oh, sorry, Sophia. No, you go. You I go. was just wondering what you like naturally coming from diverse backgrounds kind of also allows you to add something else to the psychology community that maybe somebody educated in a pure psychology kind of bachelor's master's phd um doesn't so wh- what do you think kind of your forays into different areas has helped you kind of become or help you add to the community uh
2: i think it's super helpful um i don't know if there's anything completely like uh that's been pulled from like a bio background into psychology but Having that scope, like having the vision, you can say like, oh, well, I know that, you know, when uh, immunologists have this type of data structure, they analyze it in this way, you know, and then I go and look and say, oh, well, how come no one's ever analyzed it in this way in psychology? Um, Something uh, directly that may answer that, not from a bio background, but in sociology. So um, I wound up taking a class with Matt Salganik at Princeton, who is a social networks a uh, sociologist he studies social networks um and he was teaching an advanced data analysis class and i was taking it for the data analysis but i kind of fell into his literature and i was like wow this is some really cool stuff and he had worked at the u.s census bureau and so a lot of his work was on uh population measurement and so that directly influenced my work on qrp population measurement Um, And so some of the things that they do in sociology and in public health um, deal with the measuring of populations of uh, uh, what's the right word, like hidden populations, right? So in public health, they're studying uh, people who are at high risk of HIV, uh, injecting injected drug users, um, you know, people who might not necessarily want to be counted um, or may hide their identity. And so uh, they've dealt with this in different ways. So like in sociology, um, there's this social network scale-up method that I've brought to psychology. Um, So what they do is they ask people, uh, how many people do you know XYZ, right? So what you do is you estimate the size of their their personal social network, and then you get a ratio of how many people of a certain type exist within that social network. Um, Then you scale it up over many, many, many people to give you – kind of a full person network view uh, of the population of people, and then uh, can within that kind of calculate what the size of the subpopulation of interest is. Um, So, you know, if you ask people who are just kind of pure psychology background, well, how would you measure how many people do this? You'd say, oh, well, you know, you can do the direct estimate, but there's problems with that because of uh, response and non-response bias, or you could do some of these other uh, of survey-based um measures of of uh of population sizes you can do this unmatched count technique which came out in the 70s i believe maybe the 60s um but i think you know there are so many other methods and so many other approaches to questions that are much more common in different fields and uh being able to kind of just grab that and like having the experience to say hey uh, my name is Nick I don't know anything about sociology. I would love for you to teach me what you do you know uh, I feel like it's definitely great instead of just saying like being able to jump in kind of head first and say, hey, I'm way out of my depth but uh, I think there's something you know or something you your field does that could help what we're doing in our field across the fence. Uh, let's talk about it you know I think is super super great and uh, is hopefully becoming more commonplace. Uh, I think, I think it's starting, right? Because I think with the replication issues, the replicability crisis, if if people call it that, the credibility revolution I've seen, um, I think that's helping break down the the walls between labs at least, right? So instead of like PIs and their graduate students all working in secrecy because no one wants to get scooped, uh, let's not talk to each other. I think that's starting to kind of break apart. And I'm hoping the next phase is now to go to the department, you know, in the next building over and say, hey, um, we both work on, you know, broadly speaking, we work on humans who uh, need help in some domain. Let's figure out kind of what our strengths are and kind of put them together. Um, I think it's a really, a really great place to be. And I think it's happening more and more. I, I want to be optimistic and say, I think it's happening more and more. Yeah, really- I've definitely done my my, my fair share uh, and I want to keep doing it because is, you know, I think if you just ask people and you just say, hey, um, I would love to know what you're doing. Um, if you could please tell me, that would be great. People will share, you know. I think there's sometimes a little bit of like, oh, well, they're, you know, they're like a, a big shot in their field or, you know, they are doing this sabbatical at this fancy school or whatever. It's like, I think if you just email and you're just genuinely curious about what they do and, and think that it can help your work. Uh, I think approaching those people are is, is a really great idea
0: so is, there, is that what you what you did with your thesis as well you mentioned earlier that you you did you started with a qualitative project right so do you what yeah, kind of methods yes. did you use overall what's that so wh- what kind of methods were you using for your PhD then
2: Oh uh, yes yeah. so so I did a lot of population sizing um, so I did I used one of the the kind of the crowning, uh, population measure that I, I used in my dissertation was this social network scale-up, right? So it was uh, looking at people, uh, asking about their social networks. This is pure, this is looking at psychologists, asking about their psychological networks. Like how many psychologists do you know? And then asking about how many people who use QRPs do they know? And now question, people who use questionable research practices, QRPs, um, it's not like you could see them walking down the hall and be like, oh, there's there's a QRP user, you know? So what we did was we we approached we approached people who uh, outed themselves to us, right? When we asked a direct estimate, we said, hey, have you used a questionable research practice in the past 12 months? Some people said yes in our direct estimate. And so we followed up with them uh, to ask questions about how does that information transmit through your social network, right? So um, you mentioned, you know, th- these many psychologists, you know, named uh, Amy, right? Uh how many of those Amy's know that you've used a questionable research practice? Do you know if this Amy or that Amy has used a questionable research practice? And so we kind of probed into the transmissibility of this identity information, even though it's not something uh, visible that, you know, it's not outwardly apparent. uh, It's more of a a concealed stigma. Um, So we were then able to adjust that estimate that we got from the population level, adjusting it based off of the information we got about the transmissibility from people who uh, admitted to using questionable research practices. And so as far as I could tell, you know, when you make, when you write these things, you say, well, this is the first example of blah, blah, blah. You know, as far as I could tell uh, this type of method hasn't been used in psychology before it's more common in in sociology. It's more common in public health. um, Because I think uh, you know, the populations they're looking at are more uh, at risk in health. Um, And so I kind of took that frame to think of like, at-risk populations and applied it to, you know, questionable research practice users. Um, potentially, you know, at risk for the field, right? Considering uh, if these people are introducing false positives into the published literature, you know, what does that mean about the health of the field? Um, was kind of my my thinking about it. Whether or not that's a, a worthy way of thinking about it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> oh, that sounds interesting.
1: Very cool. And the preprint of that is online. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, I so think. the the, yeah. Est- the population estimating paper, I, I actually buckled down and wrote that paper. So that's pre-printed. Uh, and then my whole dissertation is pre-printed because I just wanted a place to like, so I could reference it uh, and pull other papers from it. So that's on there too. Uh, that's just one chapter. Uh, and then another one was looking at, you know are questionable research practice users stigmatized? Um because it's important to know, like from a theoretical perspective, if they are a stigmatized population, because you can then act on that, right? You can either alleviate stigma and encourage people to, you know, say, "I've used questionable research practices, and and I'm open to learning how I can adjust my my methodological behaviors, my you know the way I write papers, blah blah blah," or as they did in the smoking literature, right? Again, public health, uh, you could ramp up the stigma, right? So. Cigarette smoking has been highly stigmatized since about the late '60s, early '70s, um, where you know they put ads that say, "Oh, if you smoke, you're going to die of lung cancer, and your children will miss you," and you know, kind of things that are really on the extremes. But if the outcome is we want to reduce the number of people smoking, that is a method that works, right? So knowing if QRP users are a stigmatized subpopulation of psychology. Uh, gives you two levers to pull, right? We can increase stigma and say, well, if you're caught using a QRP, you're going to retract all your papers, blah, 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 and really like scare tactic people out of using them, or uh, which I think more social psychologists would, would maybe gravitate towards is try to reduce the stigma and come to a common ground where there's uh, education on kind of best practices, uh, whatever those best practices are, because everyone has an opinion. Um, sorry i'm just imagining so, i'm just
0: imagining um like a journal with a cover that like similar to those cigarette um packages <laughs> like, like like an image of a of, of someone who, who used question research practices and it's is really sad now um oh or no. like, or like a skull and crossbow. oh
1: look they- Kenya, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. I don't know.
0: Maybe, maybe exactly, like, that's, that's kind of the problem, right? Like, you can't actually show personal um, issues for them because, in fact, they're probably better off. But, like, maybe you well, can make like, some abstractly... Well,
1: changing. <laughs> it is changing,
0: yeah. We can yeah. hope.
1: We can live in hope. Um, so you'd have but, to literally yeah. but, like,
0: but probably still, for now, you'd have to, like, somehow think of ways to um, make an image out of an abstract concept, like, uninterpretable literature Replication failures. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But um, OK, so I think maybe we should take a little break now, because um, we've been talking for a bit already, and and then hear more about um, the work that you're doing now. Because your PhD work sounds really interesting. um, And I assume it ties in, to some extent, um, to where you are right now. So yeah, let's take a little break then. Cool you are listening to reproducibility serving you discussion of important issues in science and psychology one mug of tea at a time do you like the taste of our podcast give us a follow on twitter at reproducibility rate us on itunes and tell other early career researchers about us if you have any questions or suggestions you can reach us on twitter or via our email address which is reproducibility at gmail.com over the next weeks we will also release some speciality flavors small podcast episodes talking to a wide range of psychological researchers, especially awesome ECRs that we want you to meet. If you have someone you think should come on the show, send us a message. Welcome back to the Reproducibility episode with Nick Fox. We've just heard a lot- of- Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> We've just heard a bit about um, his PhD work and his background moving through all of the different fields. And somehow ending back at psychology or metascience. Um, so yeah, 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 right? It's like yeah.
1: a nice full circle. Sort of,
0: uh,
1: it's like, yeah, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> um, kind of,
0: I guess like starting with that, oh, psychology, you know, I don't want to learn all this stuff off by heart and then ending up in a place where you're maybe also um, looking at whether we should even be...
1: Studying the, the psychology no, it, of psychology, like but also I assume now in as a new job,
0: actually looking at whether we should be learning these things off by heart, right? Um, so you yeah. said that you're a research scientist at the Center for Open Science. What does that mean? Yes. And yeah, how did you so, get there?
2: So uh, so here's my humble brag. Uh, I was getting f- finished with my PhD, and. I was like, you know, I should really start looking for a job. And my, my wife was saying this mostly. My wife was saying, you know, you should really apply for a job. <laughs> I said, okay. And at that time, it was like the next day, it was like someone was listening. The next day, a job posting came up at the Center for Open Science uh, for a new project uh, that has this ambitious aim of replicating or reproducing 300 uh, studies in the social and behavioral sciences. So not just psychology, but Some other related fields that I can mention in a moment. I said, "Okay, I'm going to apply for this job." And I applied for one job. And Mariana, my wife, was like, "Maybe I should apply for like a lot more jobs." And I said, "Eh, "Let's apply for this and see what happens." And you know, they're going to say no, and I'll I'll continue from there. And then they said yes, and so so I applied to a grand total of one job coming out of my PhD. And here I am. (laughs) That
0: is so nice. So (laughs) yes.
2: So, so at the Center for Open Science, uh, you know, we do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, you know, we, uh, and this is going to go into other things that I don't work on, but we facilitate journals adopting kind of open science badges, right? So pre-registration badges, open data, uh, open materials badges. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the stickers and on the papers and stuff. Um, there's a big training component. So going to universities, going to... Uh, maybe private research institutions, and, you know, training how to use the Open Science Framework, OSF, which is like the main uh, software tool that COS maintains, Um, you know, using uh, OSF and sharing data and pre-registering your studies. Uh, So there's a lot of kind of norm shifting and behavioral, uh, you know, angles to it. Uh, And there's also a meta-science angle to it, too, which is where where I'm actually now working. So there's a meta-science component to the Center for Open Science. And right now we're working on this big three-year DARPA-funded project called SCORE. So DARPA is is kind of like the moonshot uh, research arm of the Department of Defense in the United States. uh, And they uh funded a 7.6 million dollar grant to uh try and develop uh here I'm, I'm reading i'm reading from something now to make sure i say it exactly the way <laughs> it, it should be right yeah exactly so the purpose of score so the project is called score it stands for systematizing confidence and open research and evidence and the purpose of SCORE is to develop and deploy automated tools that can assign confidence scores to research results and claims, right? So the grand kind of view is when you read a paper, uh, the scientific claims in that paper will have a confidence score, will have a credibility score that will be based in part on how, what is the potential that this claim could be reproduced or replicated, Um and so I use those separately, right? Because replication is referring to a new person collecting new data and following a similar uh, or exact analytic uh, uh, step, like doing the same analysis. And the reproduction is is using the same data and doing a new analysis with a new analyst, right? Have so you already
0: decided how? The goal. Have you Have you already decided how you're going to um, define like replication success or failure?
2: Um, so so yes and no yes in that there are guidelines on this but no there are some things that i can't share Ooh. so yeah i know so it's very it's very very secretive it, it isn't it's not secretive so um yes there are there are talks about this um we're it's still it's still out so we're still out there um but yes Is that a good answer? Yes. the answer is yes.
1: (laughs) I'm so intrigued. That that was getting very close to the, to the politician answers that I've had to listen to in the UK. (laughs) Currently looking for on it. prime minister debates. Whereas like we have this question and be like, yes, that that, question exists and the answer exists too, (laughs) but not here.
2: (laughs) So yeah, so obviously, and, but I can, I can, I can hopefully speak to this is that, uh, it is a complex thing to determine if something replicates or not, right? Is mm. it uh, an effect size that is within the 95% confidence interval of the original? Is it the same direction? Is it smaller? Is it greater? So we're very much aware of the of the complexity that exists with kind of coming down and determining a replication. Uh, and we are working with that. And the good thing is um, a huge part of this project is... Um, reaching out to the original authors, right? So uh, none of this is done like behind the original authors back. So there's multiple times we reach out to them and we encourage them to be a part of the process. So why why did um, you decide to do that? So a part of it is that we want the original authors to a know what's going on B they're the expert of this work, right? So like in order to do something in good faith, like to do a good faith replication, you know, we want to know, what went on, and it's good to know, You know, are there things that differ from the published literature? Could you uh, pull everything you need from the published literature? Are there things that only the original author has? Um, and from like a meta-science meta standpoint, it gives us a lot of insight into how scientists communicate with each other, how scientists from different fields communicate with each other. Um, there's a lot of plus sides to, to working with the original authors. Um, there should, there's no adversarial replication, right? I think if uh, we want science to progress, if we want our science to be self-correcting, which I think you know people will will staunchly defend, right? Science is self-correcting. Then you know original authors uh, should anticipate people saying, "Hey, uh, I'm really interested in your paper. I'm really interested in your finding. Uh, we're going to have a setup where we can do this. You know, let's talk about. You know, I, I see that there's something you mentioned in the paper here. Maybe it's a little ambiguous. Could you give me further details on this? Uh, blah blah blah." But so, do you, do you make we the, really want it to be something that's community wide.
0: But do you make the inclusion of the study conditional on the participation of the original author, or authors?
2: No. Okay. No. So, so we make we make all the attempts we can to reach them, um, but if they're unreachable or they're just not interested, that's fine too, right? So. Um,
0: what if what if they what if someone learn? was act, actively uh, saying no? I don't want this to happen.
2: So we, have, so we have protocols in place for that. Uh, and I'm happy to say that's never happened yet. So we've reached out to several hundred oh, nice. scientists in all different fields. And and it's, it's really amazing, right? So I went in very pessimistic. I was like, look, I've reached out to scientists before, like doing my dissertation stuff. And, you know, we're going to get not so much. We're not, A, we're going to get low participation. B, you know, I don't think it's going to be very positive. And I was totally proven wrong so far. We're getting very... Encouraging levels of participation in terms of original authors getting back to us, right? That's the participation I'm talking about, and uh, the 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 way that they that they communicate is really positive. It's either neutral or positive. We haven't had, uh, at least from what I've seen, you know, any sort of adversarial or negative communication with any of the authors, which has been really, really great and uh, encouraging to kind of the state of science, right? I think being in meta science, or or you know, being focused on the replication issues, you can kind of get a little sour on like, oh man, things are bad. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that are super excited that this kind of work is going on with their own with their own work um, across is, is many different you, years of publication.
0: Sorry, is, is is that what you meant when you said um, that this kind of project, like that, it's, it's giving you interesting insights into how scientists communicate, or is that something else?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's that plus, uh, you know, so there's four of us doing kind of the, the, the biggest pull of the, rec- of the work, right? So our group is four or five, it's like seven or eight people. Uh, there's four research scientists. So there's me, there's Melissa Klein, who previously was a postdoc at MIT doing many babies. So super smart, super awesome. Andrew Tyner, he's a, a political science political scientist. He was doing a postdoc at Princeton. Um, also super smart, super awesome. Uh, Sam Field is, a, is the third research scientist. He uh, is a sociologist and a statistical consultant and super nice, super awesome. And then there's me, the guy who just graduated uh, kind of filling out this roster of all stars. Uh, and we all have different backgrounds and we're pulling literature, from backgrounds that also we're not experts in. So like economics is a field that falls under the umbrella of social behavioral sciences, Uh, business management and marketing, right? So these are fields that typically aren't talked about in the same conversation as like the reproducibility crisis in psychology. Um, And so, uh, you know, reading their literature and reaching out to them, say, here's our project, here's our mission, here's information about COS, uh, it's really interesting because it's like, you know, uh, economic professors who do research on how people, uh, you know, spend money in times of, um, I don't know, in times of uh, leanness or something, things I don't, I, I'm not an expert in. Uh, and speaking to a psychologist interested in replicating that work has been really great because you can imagine people saying, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to help you. I've never heard of you people. You guys are psychologists, whatever. Um it's actually been the exact opposite as as far as we've gone so far. So um
0: So is, is that the encouraging stage? Oh, sorry <laughs> I
2: keep talking. No go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No I was just I was wondering like if if um if that was the stage that you're at right now are you talking um I so like are you currently sort of lining up the the projects or are you already have you already started um doing replications?
2: Yeah, so right now we're right at the cusp of starting our first replications. So uh, the project started in February. Uh, and it's three years. Um, so, right now we've just started. We're kind of in the fun phase of doing pre registrations, doing IRB approval, um, you know, all the kind of paperwork and lead up for uh, the replication attempts. Uh, at the same time, we're still reaching out to hundreds of authors a week um, where we are uh, extracting scientific claims from their papers and saying, hey, these are the claims that we extracted. We want to get your opinion. Are these uh, accurate to what you're trying to portray in your paper, uh, or or are we way off, you know? Um, And so we're putting those into a database, and then from there, um, building into uh, doing potential replications. So it's kind of everything at once. So since the time frame is so compressed, doing 300 replications uh, in this time frame, uh, everything kind of has to happen simultaneously. So, so we are uh, we are a steam train going very fast, <laughs> putting the rails in front of us as we go. So we are extracting claims, talking to authors, uh, prepping for replications, and then the first replications should be starting soon.
0: Nice. Um, did you already say how you chose what papers to replicate? Sorry if I missed that.
2: So, so the. Uh, it comes from journal, right? So the papers are, uh, it's a stratified random sample um, from a number of journals. I have the number, I had, I had all these numbers set up so I could tell you them. Um, it is, it's in the 60s. Um, I honestly, I have these numbers somewhere. Oh, here. Um, Nope, I don't have the number of journals. It's like 60 to 65 to 70. It's in that range. Um, and it's a stratified random sampling of uh, 50 eligible papers per year over 10 years. So we're looking at journals from 2009 to 2018 um, and going from there.
0: So, sorry, what do you mean by going from there? Like.
2: Oh, right. So, so, uh, so from there, when we get the papers, right. So it's stratified random from the total number of papers that exist in these number of journals over Mm -hmm. 10 years. And then from there, we start to pull out uh, scientific claims and we have to pull out. Yeah. And then we have to pull out papers that uh, you know, are, are um, like letters to the editor and things that don't have content that could be replicated. So we have to kind of, uh not use those and then you know primary scientific articles we then pull out the claims reach out to the author uh and then kind of continue down towards the path of replication
0: nice. Um, and so how are you, how are you finding, um, this I'm
2: being a little vague on purpose.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I know. I know. I, i I'm realizing that you're being a politician, so I'm not going to push you too hard on that one at least, <laughs> because I, I feel like I'm not going to get more so, out of for that uh, one, but I, I do want to ask. I though, will, how, Oh, yeah.
2: I was going to say, I will say that, uh, the reason we're doing this, the reason I'm being a little more of a politician is because, uh, there are three teams that are kind of working simultaneously. Right. So, there's the replication team, which is COS, uh, where we're doing the 300 replications. There is another team called TA2, Technical Area 2. And these are experts uh, in different fields that, you know, in these different uh, fields of social behavioral sciences who will be um, attempting to gauge the replicability or reproducibility of these claims. So, there's going to be a prediction market group, there's going to be another group that's doing kind of like groupthink. Um, you know, as a group, can we determine if this is a claim that would reproduce or not? And then the third group, TA3, um, is a group that will be building algorithms that can parse through the text data um, and using the data that we collect based on the claims in the papers to build an algorithm that can predict if a scientific claim is reproducible or not. So the two kind of big goals are... Can that group do that? Can that group make mm. an algorithm that can uh, kind of make a confidence score for a scientific claim? And the kind of bonus objective is: can they do it at least as good or better than the experts who are doing prediction markets and, and kind of wisdom of a group? Um, so the reason why at this point I need to be a little more of a politician is that uh, you know there there can't be leak between the three groups. Um, so at the end of the project, mm. once the project's all done, since we are you know, open science, all of this will be uh, transparent. Uh, But at the time, you know, uh, leaking information about processes to other groups would be not great. (laughs) Mm.
1: So we'll have to invite you on in in a couple of years. Yeah, in three years' time, (laughs) we'll be back here and
0: you'll tell us about what happened. Okay, then I'll ask a question now and see whether you can answer it. Um, so, how are you? Um, how are you finding the the process right now? Because you said that you're kind of at the cusp of this uh, this next stage, uh, managing the applications. Um, so, how how is that going? And also, who is doing the applications?
2: Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, the process is going well. Um, the process it, it could be a little faster. You know, I think uh, when you write an ambitious project. Um, it can be, you know, it can be really golden when you start. And then when you actually get onto the ground, it can seem, uh, a little more difficult, but we're, mo- we're moving, we're moving very fast. In four months, we've gotten to replications, which is great. Uh, the way we're doing the replications is we are sourcing them through, uh, Chris Chartier. So Chris Chartier is the, uh, the head of the psych science accelerator and, uh, he is finding independent labs that are open to doing replications or reproductions and the cool thing about this project is that there are uh, there's grant money available for every replicating lab so um, when someone says you know what I'd be interested in doing a replication I've never done one before uh, we can say okay well when you finish your pre-registration and we submit it and your IRB approval is all done uh, you'll get a $500 bonus grant plus, there is money allocated for resources for doing that replication. So if you need uh, extra materials, extra resources in your lab to get this replication done, there's a negotiation process, an award process uh, to make sure the money is available for that to happen. So um, it's a big distributed network of labs, um, not too dissimilar from the Psych Science Accelerator, but in that instead of kind of all working to collect one very big data set, for one project, like the Science Accelerator, we are finding individual labs to do individual replications, um, kind of all over the place.
1: Yeah. Hmm. So it just sounds like yeah, a crazy amount of work. It's a lot really. of work. <laughs> So what what do you do on a day to day basis? Is it mainly kind of organizing smaller parts of a big piece, or do you have a lot of meetings?
2: Or? Yeah. So so right now it's a lot of reading, right? So it's a lot of going through scientific papers and finding scientific claims. So I mean, before this project started, uh, there was a few uh, articles that said, "Oh, well, you know, DARPA wants to make a BS detector for science," and um, someone in there, Duncan Watts, who was coincidentally Matt Salganik's advisor, right? To bring this all full circle, um, he's you know something he said which which always stuck stuck with me in this article was well, what is even a scientific claim, right? Like let's start way bef- at the beginning. What is a scientific claim? How are they going to even determine that? Let alone doing uh, hundreds of replications, you know. And so right now, what we're doing is finding those scientific claims. Uh, hopefully for you know some big meta-analytic uh, process towards the end this is something that you know I hope to say huh well can we answer that question like what does make a scientific claim um, so right now it's what we're doing right right now we're pulling out these scientific claims and we're reaching out to authors um, and starting replication so like my day-to-day is reading a lot of papers finding where authors put their hypotheses and it's really interesting talking about, kind of cross field norms, Um, like in marketing, for instance, I've looked at several marketing journals and their papers are very well structured. It's like they have an introduction and they have a whole section on um, hypothesis formation or like hypothesis generation, where they talk about like, what are the underpinnings of the hypotheses that I'm going to uh, use in this paper? And then they very clearly lay out those hypotheses. They say, hypothesis one, I did this. Hypothesis, or, hypothesis one, I predict this. Hypothesis two, I predict that. And so uh, compare that to like a psychology journal um, where maybe the hypothesis is buried, you know, somewhere towards the end of the introduction in a sentence somewhere. Um, it kind of gives a lot of insight into how things could be better across different fields. So that's what we're doing right now.
1: So do you think you're learning a lot about how psychology could improve?
2: Yeah, at at the publication level, very much so. And, uh, you know, one of the cool things about the SCORE project is that even though the SCORE project has these big grand goals of replication um, and algorithm formation and all of that, uh, which we're going to hit, right, the goal is to hit those things, there's also so much other kind of tangential data that's being collected that can also provide a lot of insight. So, I mean just anecdotally from reading journals in marketing and psychology and other fields. uh, There are some improvements that could be made in, you know, how we report our findings or how we report kind of what was a priori and what was not, you know, what did I, what did I come into doing? What did I come in thinking? What did I do? How did that, how did what I do change what I thought, you know? um, I think some fields do it better than others. I think some journals do it better than others. Um, So you know, hopefully by having this kind of broad view across multiple fields, multiple journals within field, uh, at least selfishly for psychology, we can start to say, okay, well, maybe we should pull things from other places. Like I had no reason to read a marketing journal, but now that I have, I can say, wow, I like how they talk about how they generated their hypotheses and not just, you know, reference uh, the same reference everyone makes because they're talking about stigma. So I have to reference Goffman and then. Go into my experiment. So, I think there's some interesting uh, takeaways tangential to the score uh, focus, which I think will be really helpful, and and those will be more solidified, you know, over time as we go. Uh, I'm currently uh, trying to. I have a perspective out uh, to the group, talking about you know more about how we communicate with authors, and and you know, should the norms in email communication change? uh in psychology my answer is yes but we'll see
1: <laughs> oh now now we could have another whole episode on this as well oh yeah um you're definitely uh opening up a lot more questions for people to think about yeah. but that's that's definitely really interesting well that really gives us a lot to think about really uh, both really looking forward to what the project is going to come out with once we we get to know just a bit more and also what you've already learned so yeah thanks for sharing
2: yeah of course and if you're interested if you're listening and you've gotten this far and you're interested please do reach out to me or chris chartier or anyone at cos if you're a replicating lab if you're interested in doing a replication Uh, it's a huge community effort it's going to take hundreds of labs to do all these replications and so. uh, if you're at all curious, please do reach out because we can use as many labs as possible.
0: Okay, well, we'll put that in the show notes as well. All um, right. Well, yeah, nice. That's, that's where all the good things go. Um, no, okay, well, I think, I think we're um, at about the time that, that we have for today. Um, so thank you so much, Nick, for joining us.
2: Um, of course. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, yeah,
1: thanks for thanks for coming on. And best of luck with the project. It, it does seem like completely and utterly massive. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's going to be. And I think you're going to hear a lot about it over the next three years. I think, you know, the more authors that we reach out to, the more buzz, either positive or negative, will be happening, right? More people are going to be saying, hey, these people reached out to me about this paper I published in 2017 you know and they're like oh yeah they reached out to me in 20 for a 2011 paper so i think you know there's going to be a lot of people talking about it and so uh i hope the interested people can come out and and support the project it really is going to be a huge 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 number of people and number of of, amount of effort that will be required so
1: great well thanks for coming on yeah and thanks to our listeners for uh listening and i hope we all we all all definitely learned a lot so um that that is certain so thank you. <laughs> of course thank you and bye. see you in three
0: years when we'll bye. um obviously have to ask yeah, you all when the we questions can, when we can that talk about the glorious
2: we can talk about the glorious success of score and and how it all went down
1: <laughs> that's a plan <laughs> thank you bye okay bye, bye.